0: This morning marks the pivotal point in the church calendar where we've finished now this lengthy season of ordinary time in which we studied and read together the Gospel of John. And this morning is the Feast of Christ the King, and then next week we begin Advent. So this day was put on the church calendar by Pope Pius XI in 1925 and he called it the feast of our Lord Jesus Christ the King and he put it in place um, you know everything has a context uh, kind of a historical you know kind of social psychological context and that's the case with this as well That Pope Pius put this feast on the calendar as a way of pushing back against what he saw as a growing nationalism and the rise of these totalitarian dictators, if you can try to picture in your mind, if you can, 1925, and the rising secularism. And so he inserted this feast day between the end of ordinary time and the beginning of Advent as a way of boasting that Jesus is the world's one true Lord. And that in spite of, you know, the rise of these, you know, fascist, totalitarian kind of dictators who were saying that they were in charge of their little bit of the world, uh, this Pope Pius wanted to say something different. And I think that these original motives of pious apply to us today in the face of what seems to me anyway to be a rapidly growing cynicism about all kinds of power which then just kind of foments other ways of trying to grab for and then use power for whatever it is that someone might want to use power. So I think back to the election of Barack Obama and all the hand-wringing there was about well this is the end of conservatism and how, you know, this is the end of the Republican Party and market driven capitalism and you know, this is the end of social conservatism and small government, and everybody was wringing their hands, you know. And then the market crash happened, and this is the death of democratic capitalism. And now you have Obamacare and how this is the, now going to be the death of big government, liberal, progressive project because this thing isn't going to work. You know, the death of powers everywhere, right? Death of or hatred for big corporations, hatred for Wall Street, hatred for the manipulations of Madison Avenue. And so much hatred for Congress that you know that Congress's approval ratings are now down to about 5% which i mean you know what's always funny to me about that is who's the 5% <laughs> you know who who like think they're doing a good job that's what's fascinating to me so you know we live in this time in which simultaneously people are wondering about what's happening to powers as we know them and it's a fascinating commentary that we can't get into today that one thinks that political parties are you know the the public powers that if you know one of these political parties shakes that you know oh no you know the the sky is falling and right in the middle of this sits this feast that says no you know actually behind the rise and fall of political parties and behind the rise and fall of the ideologies that these parties are supposed to represent and behind whatever's going on on Wall Street and Madison Avenue and in our nation's capital is this, that Jesus is the world's one true king. And whoever would like to can come follow him. They can apprentice themselves to this king, not to democratic ideology, not to Republican ideology. We don't follow that. That's just interesting stuff on CNN. We don't follow that. We follow this king who, as the story around him shows, superintends all of human history. And that history is going to hit its intended completion, the fulfillment of God's purposes by which he created the world, that purpose is going to come to its completion because someone lies behind all the rises and falls of stock markets and that kind of thing. So we have this sort of general distrust of people and institutions all around us, and on and on that story goes, You know, ruthlessly producing anxiety in us and relentlessly robbing us of hope, so that now the news says, did you happen to see this? I think it was on Friday that uh, one news source, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or somebody, was saying that America now has an epidemic of anger. (laughs) Like we didn't even need the New York Times to tell us that, just get on the 405, right? (laughs) And uh, it's very clear that America has an epidemic of anger. And they were surmising that maybe it has to do with uncertainty in the job market or the economy. An uh, article went on to tell about how human beings are working more hours than they've ever worked in American history, and with less vacation, and uh, USA Today uh, this week said that they found that 60 percent of Americans report feeling angry or irritable. Well, again, no kidding, just get in line. you know it sees candy at Christmas time, and you'll figure out that uh, Americans are angry and irritable and needing chocolate, right? <laughs> Uh, there, was, there was an article I saw this week where, did you hear about this, uh, a young intern at Merrill Lynch died and uh, the uh, British newspaper reported the British coroner saying that this young man died of an epileptic seizure that was triggered, they think, by uh, fatigue. And the case has now become a big icon in London, especially in, you know, in downtown where the financial markets are. It's now sparked this widespread speculation that the notoriously long working hours and competitive environments at these top investment banks were to blame for this young man's death. Thus, in this dichotomy between that which is capital R real and that which is lowercase r real in our newspapers every day, I mean, that young man's death is real. So don't hear me saying, "Well, well, that's not really real, but this is real." No, this is just capital R reality. All this other stuff is lowercase R reality. It's really real, and some family's missing that young boy right now. Maybe a fiance or a girlfriend or somebody's missing that young boy. That's really real stuff. But in the gap between these two things, I think one thing that this morning calls us to is the need to think and speak and act Christianly in this age. To wisely, clearly and sharply act Christianly into the chaos and confusion caused by the subpowers, the sub-rulers of this world who are always fighting and, and in a sense, drawing us into their fights. And one way to do this, I would suggest, you know, in terms of the basic narrative or paradigm of the Bible, the way to do this, is through Jesus' vision of the inbreaking of God's kingdom and how this was happening in and through Jesus, and how this transcends all social visions. Whether it was the Marxism, Leninism, the fascism that Pope Pius and others were responding to, or whether it's our current market-driven, Wall Street-driven, political party-driven kind of powers, that Jesus' vision of the end-breaking of the kingdom, it transcends all social visions and makes sense of all weird entanglements with religion. Like, if you're looking for a clarifying thought, if you're looking for, like, a basic North Star-orienting kind of thought for your life, there it is. Jesus is the world's one true king, and he is still alive. He is still present on and to this earth. Present, let's put it this way, present on this earth and present to the earth's people. He, right now today, is living the most interesting life you can possibly imagine, shepherding this world to God's intended purpose. And that just sits there as an offering to us that you can orient your life to this or you can live it on some sort of sidetrack. That's the basic invitation that Jesus gives us. This is why the psalmist in... Psalm 2 says, The one enthroned in heaven is the one who's ruling over the earth. He's the one to whom all earthly rulers must give an account. So be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Or this is, of course, what Paul's getting at in our reading from Colossians this morning where he says, I'm reading here from the message, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, and visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him, and everything finds its purpose in this king. He was there before anything came into existence, yea, even CNN and Washington, D.C., just saying. He was there before any of it came into existence. He, not Fox News, holds it all together right up to this moment. And though it never seems like it, I think the most important thing that happens every day in our nation's culture is some chaplain gets up and prays. And it, and it sits behind all that. It never hits the news. There's never been somebody who prayed good enough for it to, you know, end up on MSNBC. Well, that would be hard. Uh, Never prayed well enough to end up on Fox News, all right? But yet, lying behind all the stuff that does manage to find its ways into the headlines is this Lord who is superintending human events. For again, as Paul said, He's supreme in the beginning. And having risen from the dead, he's now leading this resurrection parade, showing that he's supreme in the end, too. For from the beginning to end, he's there towering far above everyone and everything. That's the vision of Paul. If you just you know, think through that reading, take, you know, take the inside of your bulletin home this morning, and, and sit with that maybe during this Thanksgiving week and just thank God that he towers above. Or come on, look at me. Or do you think he shrinks before investment bankers? Ah, I don't understand your calculations. Or do you think he walks into a room full of PhDs and doesn't know what to say? Like does he sort of shrivel before a room full of PhDs? Or does he actually understand really what's going on? And this is, this is the basic thing that Paul wants to lift before us, that he's supreme. He towers far above everything and everyone. So what I would wanna to say today as we like, personally interact with these readings and, and personally interact with what Pope Pius was trying to do and what lies behind it in the scriptures, the story that's told about this Christ who is the king, I think what it says to us then is that the greatest issue facing the world today is not the stuff I talked about at the beginning, you know, all the world's heartbreaking needs. I think it's whether or not those of us who call ourselves Christians will actually apprentice ourselves to this king and follow him. I think that's actually the world's greatest need. The world's greatest needs are not going to get fixed on Wall Street or Madison Avenue, or in DC not not really and again I don't mean to say that those things are utterly unimportant they're just not supreme and Paul wants us to see what's supreme so that we then would become students and practitioners of Christ and the gospel of the kingdom of God that he proclaimed learning how from him to live our life in the kingdom of the heavens Therefore, thereby taking the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence where you and I live and move and have our being. And I want to just say to you that I rarely get a chance to say these kind of things to us just because, you know, there's only so much time in a short sermon. But can I just say to you, I love this week because this is the fundamental vision of Holy Trinity Church. The fundamental vision of Holy Trinity Church is not our values of quiet and thoughtfulness and beauty. No, those things are in service to. We wanna be thoughtful so that we can give ourselves to Jesus as his students. We care about beauty and a kind of quietness so that we can have an atmosphere in which our hearts can be settled and our minds stilled and our restless souls find a moment of peace so that we can catch a little glimpse, just week in and week out, a little glimpse of what's really true. And the hope is that catching these little glimpses week in and week out will begin to reorient our lives fundamentally around what's true. And again, in our lesson this morning from Colossians, Paul says, this is precisely what God's up to with us, that God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons, and he set us up in the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, this Son who got us out of the pit we were in and got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Now, of course, the irony of all this, and again, we don't have time to get into what people often do, pitting Paul against Jesus, but the irony of all this is that what Paul is celebrating as the truth. What blew everybody's mind is that the irony of this king's reign is that it didn't come with high pomp and demonstrations of social or political power, but it came, as Beth said, when we started with deep, miserable humiliation in the crucifixion that's what blew everybody's mind this is not how the king of the universe acts this is not what happens to powers powers organize their life so that they're untouchable that's what powers do they have militaries and armies and assistants and you know you can't even get them on the phone right that's what the powers do they protect themselves so the great sort of cosmic surprise for everybody was really this is the king of the universe. And it's it's always been shocking and I think actually actually beyond our full human capacity to understand that in this one life in this one life there was contained the most awful suffering and the highest honor. And the message to us is that that's somehow connected. That the way God's kingdom comes is that those two things are real in one life. But as, we, as Dennis read to us, the, the people around Jesus didn't get it. This is why they're mocking. They're mocking the notion that he's Messiah, the king of the Jews, you know, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, if he's the chosen one. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Save yourself and us. So he's tormented, mocked. And of course, it's precisely in refusing to save himself that he is saving all who will be saved. And again, this gives us a glimpse into what is real, most real, That what's most real about God's intentions for humanity is a kind of selflessness that leads to what he really wants. So that as Paul says, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light when we follow Jesus there. And the word transferred there in the Greek New Testament is really helpful. I can just say this, that it's a military term that meant to say when one conquering king wins, he got all the people and stuff. And so the conquering king would get all the people and stuff, and it would be transferred into his kingdom. So now everybody look at me. You were once in the kingdom of darkness, and this king beat that darkness, and he transferred you. He transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. And then what, so then what we do day in and day out in our spiritual disciplines, what we do when we, Dennis helps us say the creed in the moment is we're saying, yes, catch us up into your kingdom. And when Beth helps us pray the prayers of the people, yes, Lord, catch us up into your kingdom. And when we confess our sins, Lord, we see the places where we're living out of alignment with your kingdom. Lord, help us to come back into alignment with your kingdom. So even the things that we do here week in and wake out, in addition to our own spiritual practices at home, they're meant to always reorient us to this most crucial truth. So finally, Paul says of Jesus in Colossians, Jesus is so spacious, he's so roomy that everything of God fits in its proper place in him without crowding. All of the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and anim- animals and atoms they all get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. But one of the things that I know confuses Christians and seekers alike is the notion that, well, if this is true, why are so many elements of my life not properly fixed and fit together? Why is there things going on that that aren't the way God would want it? And the answer is that because we live in a time between the times. We live in a time where for whatever reason, in God's loving wisdom, he allows there to be rival kingdoms. But again, could you just look me in the eye here, please? Not just rival kingdoms in communism. Not just rival kingdoms in thieves. But he allows a rival kingdom in my heart and in your heart. He does not squish and stomp and force. He invites. He invites us to day in and day out, moment by moment, take a look at the rival kingdom even in our own hearts the contempt, the fear, the anxiety the do whatever it takes to secure myself and make myself safe, even if that includes lying or manipulation or stealing or whatever. He invites us week in and week out to take a look at even the rival kingdom in our own heart and then give it to him who the scriptures say holds all things together. So you wouldn't expect to find them there, not there in that place of despondent, brutal darkness called the skull. But things that can only be delivered by a king, salvation, deliverance, relief, they are thick in the air around the cross. If you wanna know what's going on from God's point of view around the cross, I mean, humanly speaking, in Jesus' best friends and in his mother and in the women who loved and served him, all those people at the foot of the cross, of course what they're experiencing is something that's you know really powerfully human but in a kind of spiritual sense, the air around the cross is thick with your salvation. It's permeated by and thick with your deliverance from the other powers that Paul talks about. It's thick with relief from the tension of these rival kingdoms. So maybe this morning as we come now to our quiet time, Maybe you you came in this morning maybe even being aware of some things in your life that are dark and sad. And they don't really feel like they're being held together, as Paul says here in Colossians and as our feast day tells us. But they seem as if they're falling apart. And I wonder if we take a moment here, if you could just place them before God. And like that thief on the cross who felt like his life was falling apart at that moment. Maybe you can take something that right now you could identify as a bit of your life that feels disjointed or falling apart or not held together in Christ and lift it up to where Jesus now is in paradise and leave it with this Christ who is actually the world's one true Lord and its King. Amen.